What a great weekend. I want to say how much I appreciate all the leaders, Trey and Haley, Ellie, and just all of the women. There's so many, I can't even list them all. Work so hard. Thank you for what you've done to set up a weekend for women to connect with God, to grow. It was, it was really a wonderful, wonderful time. Excited for the weeks and years to come. I think this is something that will grow and get bigger and better every single time. You know, we're excited. Last weekend, how many of you enjoyed Roundup Weekend? Anybody, anybody enjoy the country music and the steel guitar and the amazing set and the chili and the mechanical bull? How many ride the, rode the mechanical bull? Do we have some mechanical bull riders in, here in the house? Thank you. One back there. All right. You'll notice they couldn't walk when they came in. They had the wheelchair to bring them in. Uh, not really. Uh, we had a great time last weekend. I know many of you brought friends and invited people to come. It was so much fun had so many people share testimonies of just how they enjoyed the church, how they connected with God. Um, People made decisions for Christ, and that's because of you and you being on your mission. This, This weekend has been an exciting weekend, and you know what? Next weekend, we start four amazing weeks of church at the movies. 
Church at the Movies is going to be an incredible event. We're going to have popcorn and we're going to have soft drinks. There's going to be a candy bar. You can go back and get candy. There's going to be a, uh, a red carpet when you come in. If you want to take a picture, you can take a picture. It's going to be a lot of fun. But what's going to be important is that as people come to our church, they're going to see a movie, but they're going to learn a message. And I'm going to tell you what, next weekend is going to be powerful. You saw the movie Warrior. There are some amazing scenes that we're going to play that I really believe will have a tremendous impact on your life and your spiritual journey. I want the ushers to come right now, and we have a weekend left before our first weekend at Church at the Movies. And we have tickets on here. It tells all about it. They can go to the website, find out more. Would you help us get the word out, all right? We're on mission, right? Mission possible. Take five or ten of these. Somebody say, Pastor, I passed out all those last week. I'm tired. Well, you can do it. Come on, let's keep going. Let's keep the ball rolling. Let's keep the momentum going. And let's share the heart of Jesus and the love of Christ with this valley and this community. So take five, take 10, take 20, and invite them to come. It's going to be so much fun. I really believe it's going to be a powerful weekend. There's going to be a strong anointing. You know, we're in the season of harvest. This is a season where, you know, when the harvest time comes, you get out in the field and you just, you take in the harvest. And we don't want to miss a season of opportunity to bring people in. So get out there and share the word. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. This week, we're going to talk about masterpiece. We're going to continue the theme of what our women have been talking about all weekend. And I want to invite you, if you will, to stand to your feet. Those of you joining us online, North Carolina and Colorado, Chico, I want to invite you to read these words with me. I'm going to show you a passage in the Bible that tells us that we are God's masterpiece. And so I want you to read this. There's power when we declare God's word together. So let's read it all together. Those of you joining us online, right there in your home or wherever you have it on your phone, your car, why don't you declare God's promises with us? Let's read together. Ephesians 2.10 says, we all reading? For we are God's... He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Just say this, we are God's masterpiece. Now close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. Prepare us, prepare our hearts, our minds to receive the powerful truth of God. Powerful truth. Lord, there's no limit to your power. And I pray that that power would penetrate our thinking, would penetrate our homes penetrate our decisions and that we would be able to walk out that truth and walk in freedom let us be your masterpiece in Jesus name somebody say amen you may be seated today thank you Pastor April you know when God created the world the pinnacle of his creation and his creative power was displayed through you and I through humanity. When he created man and he created woman. You know, this body that we've been given, it's amazing. It's a depiction of how God can make a masterpiece. Let me give you some stats about your body. Can I tell you real quick? Number one, here's this pretty amazing. Did you know that your body, my body, contains 75 trillion cells? And each one of those 75 trillion cells is made up of 50 billion atoms. And every four to five seconds, 50,000 cells in your body will die 
But at the same rate, within those four and five seconds, 50,000 cells will be created. That means in the, the next few minutes as I preach, your body is going to create somewhere between 15 and 25 million new cells, depending on how long I preach. Did you know that in your body you have capillaries, arteries, and veins? And if you were to take every capillary, artery, and vein and put it in a single file line, it would mean and show us that we have 75,000 miles of veins and arteries in our body. Enough to wrap the earth three times in one human body. You see, you and I are God's masterpiece. And what I want to do today is I want to break down what a masterpiece is and how a masterpiece is created and, and, and give you some thoughts and ideas that will help us understand what that masterpiece really means. So I want to give you point number one. You ready? Take your programs. Pull out that page for you to fill in the notes. I want you to begin to write down some things that you can take home, you can think about this week. You know what's exciting is I had someone come up to me last week, and they said, Pastor Jared, I've started coming to Higher Vision Church, and I love Higher Vision Church, and the messages, man, they're just speaking to me so much that I come on Saturday night, and I I fill out things and think I've heard something, and then I come back to the 945, and I listen to the message again, and I get something even more and different, and then I come back at 11. 30 and I listened to it again. Man, this guy is triple dipping. I mean, and he said, I just get so much. And God has been speaking to me. And you know what I pray today is that when this service is over, that you'll walk out of here, you'll turn off that computer, and here's what you'll say. Man, I think God was telling me something today. So here's the three ideas. You ready? We're going to learn about a masterpiece. Point number one is this. A masterpiece, write this down, is intentional. A masterpiece is intentional. You know, I have uh, four children. My youngest son, his name is Hudson, and he probably one day will be an engineer or an architect because he loves to build stuff. In fact, he loves Legos, and he will build, uh, like, things with Legos, stuff that's not in the box. You know, you get the box with the picture. He doesn't create the picture. He makes something new. In fact, sometimes when I do a wedding, I will go to Hudson before the wedding. I'll say, hey, Hudson, will you build me something to give to the wedding couple from you a brand new created Lego, you know, creation. And he'll make it for me. And then I'll go to the service and I'll give it to them. It's funny because right now in my game room upstairs, I have a Hudson creation. And it's created with two big cardboard boxes and lots of duct tape. How many know you can't really build anything without duct tape, right? Come on, man, you, you, you got to have duct tape. So I go upstairs, and I walk into the room the first time, and I see this thing, and I'm like, whoa. And I look at, well, who made this? Obviously, Hudson. I'm like, Hudson, did you make this? He's like, yeah, Dad. And I'm like, cool, what is it, right? And he says, oh, well, Dad, this is a yada, 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 you know? And he starts telling me, and, you know, if you come over here, you can see, and you go in here and see this little flap. It opens up, and inside there's a Lego guy, and he's got his own little spa right here, and this little thing right here, if you unwind it, it does. He's got every single thing that he has created has a purpose and an intention behind it. And when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it reminds me of Hudson. Because the scripture says, for we are God's masterpiece, and he has, underline this word, created us 
anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things, and underline these words, he planned for us long ago. The word created is a Greek word, and here's what that word means. It means to fabricate, to form originally, to create or to make. This word reminds me of the very beginning of time in Genesis. Genesis, if you go with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see how God created, how he formed, how he made humanity, man and woman. Go with me if you have a Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this. It says, then the Lord God, underline this word, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Jump down to verse 21. So then the Lord, God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. Did you realize that God was the first sleeping pill? Just throwing that out there. A little observation. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned. You need to underline that word. He fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. You know, when I read that, you know what it made me think of? I don't think I've ever met a man who didn't like ribs. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. All right? I love ribs. Any men love ribs out there? All right, okay. Let's look at your wife now. All right. You realize God formed man, but he fashioned woman. He formed man and he fashioned woman. Isn't it interesting that women love fashion? Just throwing that out there. And they together were created in the image of God. If you go back to the word fashion in the Hebrew, here's what the word fashion means. It means to build, to make, to repair, to set up. Some synonyms to it are construct, build, manufacture, fabricate, contrive. The word formed is a little bit different, and it means this. It means through squeezing into shape to form. To mold into a form as a potter or to determine. The idea here that I'm bringing between man and woman and what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is simply this. When God created you, you weren't an afterthought. You weren't a random accident. God intentionally created you. He thought about you. In fact, did you know the Bible says that his thoughts towards you are more than there are of sand grains on all of the, the, the beaches of the world? When God made you, he made you with intention. He created you with purpose. And just like Hudson's creation, when you look over here and say, well, why is that there? Then God says, they're there. And that part of their personality and that gift that they have and that appearance that they have, I thought about that. I created that. I, with intention, made it because they're my masterpiece. You're not an accident. But you know, it's so easy for us. We fall to the lie of the enemy because here's what the enemy is. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, of of, of believers. So here's why. If he can get you to begin to believe the lies about who you are, he begins to cause you to question who you are. And then what you do is you start comparing. You start, wait a minute, how come they are like this? And how come they have this gift? And look at who they are. And you, you, quit un- you start undervaluing who you are because you forget that God in- intentionally created you. 
you ever looked at your life and or have you even looked at your body and you're like, why do we have that? Like one time I was in the mirror and I was doing something. My mouth was open and I saw my uvula. How many do you have an uvula? You have an uvula, right? I mean, that's a little thing that dangles in the back of your throat. Have you ever wondered, why, God, did you give me an uvula? Have you ever, I mean, I mean think about it. It just hangs back there. It's kind of gross, right? Some of you are getting grossed out the more I say uvula, right? <laughs> why do I have an uvula? Have you ever thought, why do I have an earlobe? Some of you, you ladies want us to have a beautiful earring, honey, right? Why are we like we are? You know what's so easy for us to start questioning? Why am I the way that I am? And you know, that's something that humanity is so... I think prone to do, but let's go to Romans chapter 9, because Romans chapter 9 verse 20 says this, don't say that, who are you as a mere human being to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes a jar out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use that same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? What he's saying is that sometimes we look at our purpose and the the role or the thing that we're doing in life and we start questioning and we start comparing. But here's what we need to know. No, is that God intentionally created us and he created us with a purpose and that purpose is to be his masterpiece. You see, there's no one else like you. So here's kind of a big thought for you to think about. God created you. There's no one like you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So if God created you as an original... Why die a photocopy? Why live your life looking at everybody else and saying, I'm going to conform to who they are. And this is what the world says is valuable. And this is what the world says is a masterpiece. And these are the characteristics that will make. No, what we need to do is go back to the greatest creator of all time. The one who made the world. The one who made the galaxy. The one who made you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. And when he made you, you weren't random. You weren't accidental. You weren't just the, the process of an evolved thing that happened randomly. You were intended and created. You are a masterpiece of God. Don't get caught comparing yourself. Be the original. Don't die a photocopy. Be the masterpiece God has called you to be. Amen. Amen. Good point, Pastor Jared. Amen. It was funny. Last night when I put that quote up, God made you an original. Don't die a photocopy. They accidentally wrote it wrong, and it said, you are an original, and when you die, don't make photocopies. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. But we fixed it, hallelujah. <laughs> A masterpiece is intentional. Let me give you the second thought. A masterpiece is priceless. A masterpiece is priceless. I want to read to you the context, because sometimes we read a, a verse like Ephesians 2.10, which says, you are God's masterpiece. And we forget to, to, to realize the context in which the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was speaking. And I want to give to you a couple verses that lead into this idea that we're a masterpiece. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, but let's go back to verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, so God saved you, this is the Apostle Paul, God saved you by his grace when you believed, And you can't take credit for this. It is God's gift. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, 
so none of us can boast about it. For you are God's masterpiece. Now, I want you to meditate on that verse for a second. As you're meditating on that verse, you know, I got to thinking about masterpieces. And you know, there's some masterpieces out there that are really ugly. I went online to find 10 of the ugliest masterpieces. And I found one that was pretty ugly. I thought I'd bring and show you a picture of it. You're going to bring it up right now. This is considered a masterpiece. So you're like, that looks like something I can draw. It looks like something I gave my mom. She still has it on her fridge right now. Let me tell you a little bit about this masterpiece. In 2006, this masterpiece was bought for $95,216,000. Some of you are going right now, huh? (laughs) Because here's the thing you need to understand. You ready? Here's the big point. Your value is not based by what you've done. Your value is based by who created you. Your value isn't based on what you've done. Your value is based by who created you. Guess who created that picture? Pablo Picasso. So many times what happens is we look at our life and we think, well, I'm not valuable or I'm not a masterpiece or what can I really do? But we fail to to remember, we forget that our value isn't based on what we've done for you have not been saved by, you know, by what you've done so that no man can boast. You are God's masterpiece. Your value comes in the fact that the one who created you is credible. The one that created you knows what he's doing. The one who created you creates your value. Now, you know, let me ask a question. Is there anybody here that wants $5? They want $5? You were the first one with your hand up right there. Uh, would you like $5? I'll give it to you. Somebody's like, what are you doing? I don't know. It's dirty now. It's, it's wrinkled now. You still want it? Okay, come get it. Here, let's give her a hand. She's going to come get her $5. Thank you very much. Go enjoy something from the coffee shop. Or... Here's my question. Why did she still want it? She wanted it because the one who created it, no matter even that it was wrinkled, even that it was dirty, the one who created it, the United States government, says it has value. And so many times when we walk through life, we go through trials and we go through challenges or we make a mistake or we do something wrong and the enemy jumps on our shoulder and we start looking at our wrinkles and we start looking, some of us have more wrinkles than others, we start looking at our wrinkles and we start looking at our baggage, we start looking at our problems, we start looking at our mistakes and then we start convincing ourselves that we have no value but your value is not based by what you've done for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. God, lest you should boast, for you are God's masterpiece because of who created you. Hallelujah. I had another thought about this priceless idea, because a masterpiece is priceless. You know, the other thing about value, because your value is 
based by who created you. God created you. He thought about you. He planned you. With intention, he made you. You know the other thing about value? I want to bring this quote up. Your value is appraised by how much someone is willing to pay. Can you let that sink in for a second? Your value is appraised by what someone is willing to pay. If we were to go back to the the picture that we saw of Pablo Picasso, it was valued at $95 million because someone was willing to pay that for it. Do you realize that you and I are the creation of God and we are so valuable there is no price tag that can be placed on our value because God sent his only son that while you were yet sinners Christ died for us. You are so valuable. He gave his only God himself died on a cross, paid the ultimate price. You and I are priceless in the eyes of God. And the only way that you and I will arise to the calling of the masterpiece that we've been created to be is when we understand that we're not an afterthought. That every part of us has been designed and created by God for a purpose. And that he wants to redeem those things that look like wrinkles and flaws so that he can then use it and you can be spent and you can be expended for his glory. And that you and I were created by God with intention. And that we're so valuable that he paid the ultimate price. I want to give you one more thought. Anybody want to know one more thing? Let me, hear you. Let me see your hand. You ready? A little drum roll getting you ready. Point number three. A masterpiece is priceless. Actually, that's not right. That was the last one. Just making sure you're awake. A masterpiece. Let's try that again. A masterpiece. Boy, that was really anticlimactic, wasn't it? A masterpiece is intentional. A masterpiece is priceless. And a masterpiece, you've already seen it, is a process. A masterpiece is a process. Let's go back and let's read Ephesians 2.12 because we'll see this play out in this verse. Ephesians 2.12 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. He's remaking us. He's redoing us. There's a process of remaking. He's made us new again in Christ Jesus. So it's through Christ Jesus that we're made new. So we can do the things he planned for us long ago. In order for us to be a masterpiece, in order for anything to be a masterpiece, there is always the process of thinking and creating the idea, then beginning the process of making it into the masterpiece. And sometimes that process isn't immediate. Did you know, many of you are familiar with the Mona Lisa painting. How many are familiar with Mona Lisa? The Mona Lisa took da Vinci four years to paint. And when they did x-rays on this particular masterpiece, they discovered that there are four other versions of the Mona Lisa underneath the one that you and I see. Because he had to remake the masterpiece. Because a masterpiece is a process. Here's the point. If 
Da Vinci would have stopped at version one, nobody would know who the Mona Lisa even is. God has us in the process of being remade. You can look at the scripture. If you have a Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 3 says, um, the prophet Jeremiah went down to the potter. And he said, so I did as the Lord, or as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. In other words, sometimes in order for us to be crafted into the masterpiece that God has made us to be, just like da Vinci, there is a process of molding and shaping. Isn't it interesting that man was formed and woman was intended or, or fabricated? And so we see God, is, God he has got a masculine side and there's a feminine side of God. And the two together reflect his image. So for you and I, God didn't just say, well, I'm going to now construct and design, but then he started started forming and molding and shaping because part of the masterpiece process is that he has to shape us and remake us so that we can become the vessel, the masterpiece he's called us to be. Reminds me of a story of my, my boys. I have four kids. Um, my boys, sometimes they uh, fight. And um, anybody have kids that fight? Come on, be honest. It make me feel better. I'm hanging up here by myself. You have kids that fight, fought growing up. Let me see your hand. Let's see. Thank you. How many have had kids that fight a lot? Okay. So when my kids were younger, there was a moment where Tanner was playing baseball and his team won the championship. Anytime you're on a team, male, female, whether you're in you know, third grade or in high school, when you win a championship, that's a big deal. And so he got a trophy. And it was one of those trophies that had, I think, a little baseball on the bottom and had a little thing that went up. And then there was a baseball player on top of it with a, a bat in his hand that went up into the air, right? And so when Tanner got this trophy, he loved his trophy. He didn't want to put it on the shelf like normally you do with a trophy. He carried it around with him wherever we'd go. He actually slept with it at night when he went to bed. And if he went to the restroom, he would take it into the restroom, put it on the counter. Be, I'll see you later. And, you know, I mean, he, he loved that trophy because it meant a lot to him. It was awesome. He loved that trophy. Well, one day, him and his brother got into an argument. And they're fighting, and pretty soon names start coming out. And Tanner looks at Hudson, he's like, dude, you're a dork. And so Tanner, Tanner's like, you're a dork. And Hudson's like, don't call me a dork. You're the dork. I'm not a dork. Don't call me a dork. I'm not a dork. And so Tanner looks at him and goes, dork. So he gets mad, Hudson, and he runs over and he grabs his brother's trophy. And he runs over to the stairs where there's wood and everything, and he's holding it up, and he goes, you better not call me dork one more time. Some of you are like playing this out in your kids. You've seen this happen already at your house. So he's holding the trophy, and Tanner looks at him kind of like for that moment of like, am I going to do it or am I not? He looks at him, and he's like, Dork. And Hudson, ah, and he grabs a trophy and he chucks it. And the trophy starts flying through the air and Tanner's like, no. He's running 
flying towards the trophy, trying to get it. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but it flew like over his head. And I don't know if it hit the wall or whatever, but it lands on the ground. And, and he's like, jerk! And he takes off running over and he picks up the trophy. And as he picks up the trophy, something has changed. Because now there's a little baseball and there's a little thing. And there's a man standing at the top with a bat that goes like this. And he's angry, and he's bummed, and he's not going to sleep with it anymore because it pokes him in the side. <laughs> so he goes, I might as well put it on the shelf. And so he walks over to put it on the shelf, and as he reaches up to put it on the shelf, he realizes something. That if the bat had not been bent, it was too tall to fit in its position. And you know, a lot of times we want to be on the shelf, we want to be on display, we want to be the masterpiece, but sometimes God has to shape or mold or form us so that we can fit into the position of masterpiece that he's called us to. But what happens is we don't like that, and we don't like the process, and it hurts when he's shaping and when he's molding, and it hurts when the bat is bent, and it hurts when he's remaking, because that's uncomfortable. But God wants you to know something. Listen, he's called you to be on a shelf. He's called you to be on display. He's called you to reflect his glory and to reflect his creative power. But you've got to submit to the process. Because a masterpiece is a process. You know, as we end this service, I want to take a minute and for a second talk to the women. Because I think there's a lot of women who God has called you to be a masterpiece, but you're not walking in the authority, you're not walking in the calling that God has for you. And some of it is because of this world and the lies of this world. Did you know that when God created man and women and woman, here's what the Bible says, he created them in the image of God. And when he created them, here's what we know, that together, man and wife, Together, he placed them in the garden and gave them authority. And they ruled the garden. They stewarded God's creation together. In fact, we know that women walked in great influence because when the enemy came to try to destroy what God had done, who did he go to? The woman. Which tells me that she carried great influence. That she walked in great authority. And who was the one that convinced the man to take the bite? The woman. You see, God originally intended man and woman together to walk in great authority, in great calling, in great anointing. But here's what happened. Because of sin, God placed a curse on humanity. The curse for man was that now he was going to have to labor with the sweat of his brow for increase. For the woman, there was, when she had a child, it was going to be painful. And all the women said, amen, if you've had a child. Unless you've had an epidural, but even then. But there was another part of the curse that the women were under. And the curse was that now they were going to be under the man or the husband. 
And what began to happen through time is that their position of influence and authority to walk in what God had intended them to be as God's master's piece through time has begun to be eroded and demeaned and destroyed. In fact, even in the side of the earth where God was releasing his voice. And, you know, in the Old Testament, we know that God released through Moses and the prophets a, a system of relationship. He gave us 117, um, there are 10 commands, but there are 117 Levitical rules and guidelines that we're to live by to have a relationship with God in the, based on the Old Testament process. And from Genesis until Malachi... In that setting, we see women, even though they weren't maybe walking in what they had been called to originally, they were still walking in roles of leadership. You look at Miriam, you look at Deborah, who commanded the armies. You look throughout Scripture, and women were still functioning and still had a viable place. But what happened was, is at Malachi, there were 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years when God quit talking. And it was in those 400 years that grew out of this religious tradition with the Hebrew people, another and more strict religious form of relationship with God. And Judaism took on a a, a turn or a twist, and they created 400 more guidelines when God wasn't talking. Doesn't that sound like when God's not a part of it? So they created 400 more guidelines laws. And what's interesting, of those 400 new laws and rules that we all had to live by, over a hundred of them had to do with stripping women of rights, demeaning women and putting them. In fact, let me give you a little of the context of the culture that Jesus came into and the reason that he fought the religious sect of the day and the mentality of the day. In the first century of Israel, there was no people group more oppressed than women. They were considered second-class citizens akin to slaves. They had virtually no rights, no respect, and no voice. They were the property of men. They were allowed little or no formal education. If a man had young boys and girls, the boys went off to school and be educated while the girls stayed home with their mother. Like the women of Afghanistan before the U.S. invaded... The Jewish women were forbidden to speak to men in public and required to wear a veil on their faces whenever they left their homes. If a woman was caught unveiled in public, it was grounds for divorce. They could keep, they kept house, they took care of the kids and served at the will of their husbands. If a man came over to the house for dinner, the woman had to eat in another room. The fathers arranged most of the marriages for their daughters and usually wasn't the man of their dreams. The best they could hope for was for someone to at least treat them better than their father did. To make matters worse, their husbands were allowed to marry many wives, so most wives shared their husband with many other women. And if the husband got tired of them for any reason, they could divorce them and discard them like an old rag. Jewish women could not vote, had no political influence. A woman couldn't even be a witness in a court case. Judaism was much stricter than the Old Testament covenant that God had given with respect to women. In fact, women were, re, uh, were relegated to the outer court and not even allowed to read the scriptures called the Torah. One first century rabbi who was famous at the time named Elzer said, I would rather the Torah be burned than instructed or taught to a woman. His comments depicted the religious community and attitude toward the women at that time. In fact, women were not even allowed to recite morning prayers 
or prayers at meals. This was the culture of how far women had had come from the place that God had originally intended them to be. God had created them to rule with men in the garden, and now they weren't walking in that authority anymore. Some of that was because of religion or because of men or whatever it might be. It was because of the curse. But I want to tell you something. This passage that we read in Ephesians is powerful. Did you know that that if you look at the scriptures, when Jesus came along, he began to do many things that began to, to shake up the attitude of of the religious community towards the other gender. In fact, remember the story when he told the three parables and he talked about, there was a question about should we go to mingle with people who aren't Jews or people who are hurting or people who are lost. And remember when he told the story about the sheep, the lost sheep, and he tells that parable and how that the shepherd went and found him and the shepherd represented the father God and how he was reaching out to the hurting And then he tells a story about the lost coin and he ends with the story of the prodigal son and the the father in the story represented God and how that he was looking for the son. And then right in the middle, he tells a parable about the lost coin and he said there's a woman who went to find the coin. You know the reason why they hated him so much? Because he said, hey, God's not just like a man. God's like a woman. He began to shake everything up. He began to try to give power and authority back to women and Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Mary comes and sits at Jesus' feet, which wasn't allowed. Women weren't allowed to to be taught the word. They weren't allowed to study the Torah and hear the teachings of of that. So she came and sat at Jesus' feet, and what happened? Now, Martha comes along and says, Jesus, she's out of position. Tell her to come help me serve, because that's what women do. And Jesus says, oh, 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 hold on. She's found the good thing. Serving's important, but she's learning the word. She's hearing the truth. He was subtly trying to change the mindset. In fact, if you look at the end of Jesus' life, it was men who accused and arrested Jesus. It was men who denied that they knew Jesus. It was men who sentenced Jesus to death. It was men who beat him and crucified him. It was men who gambled for his clothes. It was men who put him in a tomb. It was men who put a stone in front of the tomb. But it was women who anointed his feet for burial. It was women who tried to talk Pilate out. Remember Pilate's wife got a dream from God. And she says, you need to release this man. It was women who tried to talk them out of crucifying Jesus. It was women who sat at Jesus' feet when he hung on the cross. Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, who was there with Jesus through the last moments of his life, who ministered to him and, and, and who he looked at and he spoke with. It was women who were there for the funeral. And here's the coolest part. It was women When Jesus rose from the grave, it was a woman, the very first person to ever tell the good news. Jesus saw this woman in the garden. He said, go tell the men, go tell the disciples that I am risen, that the gospel is true, that I'm the Messiah. It was a woman who first carried the word of God. In fact, not only was it a woman who carried the word, amen, but it was a woman who carried Why am I taking time to talk about this? Because here's what the scripture says. For you are God's masterpiece. God has created you anew in 
Christ. So you can arise and do the things he planned for you a long time ago. So here's the point. The curse came to to bring harm and to take women out of their authority. But here's the good news. When Jesus came, he came to break the curse. So the beauty of this story is that if you're a woman, the the, the takeaway for you today is simply this. If I stay involved with Jesus, if I worship Jesus, if I follow Jesus, if I study Jesus, the Word of God, if I stay in Jesus, guess what? He's made me a masterpiece. The curse is broken. I can walk in authority. I can be a leader. I can be all that God has called me to be because He made me a masterpiece. And all the things he planned long ago, back before the garden even existed. I'm going to walk now in my calling. I'm going to walk in my authority. I'm going to walk in my anointing. Because Jesus broke the curse. I am a masterpiece. God has called you and I as a woman and as a man. It's all about Jesus. The more we get close to Jesus, the more we worship Jesus, the more we follow Jesus. That's why the world doesn't want you, that's why the devil doesn't want you to be connected to Jesus because Jesus is the one that releases you to be the masterpiece. He's the one that forms and shapes you to fit on the shelf. He's the one that positions you to accomplish and do all that God has called you to do. So get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. I love to say his name, Jesus. His name is above every other name, Jesus. Worship Jesus. Serve Jesus. I don't care what the religious people say. I don't care what all the politically correct people say. Okay, we love God. We love Jesus because he's the son of God. And he's the one that sets us free. And he's the one that's made us a masterpiece. And he's the one that's liberated us to be and do all that God has called us to be. Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life.